Thank you, Azure, for that ministry of music. I don't know what you folks might have thought when you heard that our brother Shear is going to be bringing the word to us tonight. But when I heard about it, I was pretty excited. I know that uh, Charles has a real desire to want to preach. And I think it's a great opportunity for him to come and preach to us. I, I'm real excited about that. So, brother, uh, come, come and speak to us. Well, I am honored to be here in front of you all, and I am just amazed, and I shouldn't be, at how God works out a service, because what I have to preach on, everything has, the prayer that Ralph had, um, Azure's song, just everything, it just is what was needed for this sermon. Um, and I couldn't have planned it any better. But we're going to be in Psalm 1. Psalm 1. And I, I just want to thank those who have been praying for me as I've prepared. And I'm a little nervous because I don't know all of you, but I know some of you. And that just makes me very nervous. Uh, so, if you see me dab at my head, that's why. Um, but I am thankful to be in front of you and bring the word and have my parents here to listen and just thankful that they are able to be here. But we're in Psalm 1, so let's read that. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I'd like to pray for now. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time to open your word and learn from it. And I just pray that your Holy Spirit will work among us, work through me, and that I will not speak, but you will speak through me. And Lord, that um, we will be and especially me, impacted by this scripture and by what it has to say for us. And we just ask this all in your son's name. Amen. Now, I, I feel a little awkward in preaching from this text for a couple of reasons. Um, first, because a little bit related to what Pastor Reed has been talking about with the Beatitudes, about blessed and what that means. And so... He's been doing such a good job on that, I feel a little awkward talking on that. But, when Pastor Reed asked me to preach, that was before I even knew what he was talking about in the evening service. So, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, but, um, another reason is that I think this passage speaks specifically to me, and I hope it speaks to you, but 
specifically to me and convicts me of how little time I take to really dwell on the Word of God. I want to, I desire to, and I strive to, but I'm sure that I don't take as much time as I should. And I'm sure all of us could say the same thing. We all don't take as much time as we should to dwell on the Word of God, to really think about it. But I, I, really, I really think that I need this message even more than, than some. But God laid this passage on my heart, and here's where we are. Um, now, as to this particular passage of Scripture, of Psalm 1, you would you probably expect a simple approach, just go straight down the Scriptures, and we're done. I'm going to take a little detour. So, bear with me. Um, but um, first, we, we have the... How blessed is the man? Blessed, as we've kind of found out from Pastor Reed, is more of not just happy, but of finding favor in God's sight, of desiring His favor. And so that's where he starts off with. But And that's what we all should desire. Especially at, at the end of life, when we should desire that word from God that, That word from Jesus, thou good and faithful servant, well done. That's what we all should desire, not just pastors, but every every single one of us should desire that. And so, but um, I'm just going to take a little detour on this. The first point that I've, I've got is, this is the delight of the blessed man. The delight. What is his delight? The object of, and the object of his delight is the word of God. If if you were reading, if this is how I would read it, just how I'm doing it tonight. How blessed is the man who, and I'm skipping to verse two, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight, the reason he is blessed, and I, I think. Verse 1 and the rest of it is a result of his delight in the Word of God. His delight, therefore, makes him not want to do what it says in verse 1. So we're going with, blesses the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, in the Word of God. The, the, the believer's delight comes from his focus on the Word of God. The object of his delight is God's Word. Excuse me, I'm sorry. The psalmist here was describing what the believer should be experiencing. But if we were honest with ourselves and with God, that is not how we would describe the time we take to study the Word of God, how, how we usually do it. And most, generally, believers in Western culture have their devotions or quiet time as quickly as possible so they can get on with their day and more important stuff. I mean, if you look at Christians generally, and there are you know, Christians who generally take a good interest in the Word of God, and I'm not saying anything about this particular church, but I'm saying in general, believers take a view of Okay, this is a task I need to do, I need to get it over with, and I need to get on with my day because 
that's what American culture is like. We've got to do a task and we want to do this and we've got to get it done. And, and the psalmist estate says the man, the person who is blessed by God desires, delights in the law of God. He takes his time with it. God has given us the desire to study his word as a result of our salvation. But if we do not consistently ask God to turn that desire into a delight, then what God intended for our benefit can become just another task to check off our to-do list. Now, as I was studying this word, I was reading this book by Jerry Bridges, uh, The Practice of Godliness. And this, this is what he says in that book about our, as we develop our relationship with God and our relationship with the Word of God, this is what he says. The idea of practice may tend to make us think of drudgery, such as dreary drills on piano scales when we wish to be out playing with our friends. But the practice of developing our relationship with God should not be equated with something like childhood music lessons. We are seeking to grow in our devotion to the most wonderful person in all of the universe, the infinitely glorious and loving God. Nothing can compare with the privilege of knowing him in whose presence is fullness of joy and in whose hand are pleasures forever. That comes from Psalm 1611. Now, we've looked at the object of our delight, which is the word of God. And now we can see the method of his delight, or what he, what he says in the second half of, chap, uh, of uh, verse 2 there in chapter 1. And in his law he meditates day and night. This is a person who takes seriously the word of God. And again, I go back to Jerry Bridges because it seemed to fit. But he, he talks about how he works with the navigators. Uh, some of you may know who the Navigators are. They, they're an organization that helps believers develop their, just grow in their walk with the Lord. And the Navigators have come up with, well, not come up, but they've really developed the five methods of intaking, taking in the Word of God. It's nothing new with them, but they just have a unique way of remembering them. They put it, they Memorize it by putting it to each finger of the hand. And there's five methods, and the first method is that of hearing the Word of God. That's the most common form, what we're doing right now. Hearing the Word of God, taking it in as we come to church. And But that's what the majority of believers settle for. They settle for just that. They come to hear the Word of God, but they don't come always with the mind of being instructed so that they can be obedient to God's Word and God's law. So that they can have communion with a holy God. Most, of, most people come to be entertained by the music or the way the pastor preaches or just to be 
moved emotionally without being convicted of sin and, and be changed. A second method that we have is reading the Word of God. Taking time to read it and know the Bible in a more in a broad spectrum of reading it, of knowing what it is from beginning to end, reading through it in a year and knowing what it says and have a general idea of what it is. As Second Timothy three sixteen tells us, all Scripture is profitable, and if we do not take the opportunity to read the Word of God for ourselves, we can be both scripturally ignorant and impoverished. A third method is that of taking the time to study the Word of God and know God in a more intimate way. If the reading of the Word of God gives us a broad perspective, then the study of the Word of God gives us a deeper insight into each particular part of Scripture. In Proverbs 2, 1-5, there are some principles that we can apply as we study the Word of God. Let me read that. My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your ear to understanding. For if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. And they bring out that, my son, if you receive my words, if you'll be teachable with the words of God, if you'll treasure them or store them up with the intent to obey the word of God. And in verse 2, if you incline your heart to understanding, if you discipline your mind to understand it. Verse 3, if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. And they see that as a prayerful dependence on God to help you understand the Word of God. If you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasure, you persevere diligently to seek for it, to seek for what is in the Word of God. Then you will discover the fear of the Lord and dis- then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. There's a statement that uh, he had in his book that he heard from a number of years ago from the chief surgeon of a hospital. Somebody asked him how he had time to take to study the Word of God, and the chief surgeon thought about it and then answered this, you always find time for what is important to you. What is important to us? Is it the Word of God? The fourth method of Scripture of uh, taking in the Scriptures would be for us to memorize the Word of God. It's another step we can take. And not memorizing the whole Bible but just memorizing particular passages that will help us in times of temptation or trial that will bring to mind, the Holy Spirit will bring to mind that we can use 
to help us battle that. Putting on the armor of God. If we were to look at Psalm 119, that would be the main theme of that passage of Scripture. And it should be a very important reason for each one of us to practice this method of just taking in the Word of God. I mean, Psalm 119 is full of the psalmist just telling the Lord how he takes in the Word of God, desires the Word of God. That should be ours. The, the final method and what we find in, chapter, in verse 2 is, is the um, method of meditation. But what does it mean to meditate? And when we hear meditation, what do we usually think of? Sitting down on the floor, crossing our legs. And, mm, that's what we usually think of. But that's not what God is meaning through His Word. He means we... Talk over the scriptures to ourselves. We mull over it. We chew over it. Not literally, but we chew over it kind of like a cow chews the cud. It just brings it back up and brings it back up. It's a bad picture. But anyway, that's what we're supposed to do. We bring it back up. We, we've read it. We've studied it. We've memorized it. But we bring it back up and, and we keep going over it and going over it until it becomes so ingrained in us that it's part of our, every part of our life. When we work, when we play, when what, whatever we do, it's there. And it applies to every one of us in this room, young and old. This, this meditation does seem to be the culmination of all the other methods. You do it as you do the other methods, but it seems to be as you develop yourself in studying the Word of God and reading it and hearing it and memorizing it, it just seems to be the, the final thing that, you would that would come about because of those as we practice those other methods, we do dwell and think on Scripture more and more so that it affects every area and relationship in our lives. Now, as we move on to verse 3, we've seen the, the delight of the blessed man, of, of the blessed person, the believer, and the object of his delight, and the method of his delight. But we can see the characteristics of the blessed man. As we see in verse 3, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. The believer is planted or settled by the streams of water, which streams of water is seems to signify the Word of God as well. He's firmly planted by the Word of God. He desires to be by and, and nourished by the Word of God. We find a parallel passage in Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17, 
Verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its root by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green. And it will not be anxious in a year of drought nor cease to yield fruit. Now the Lord talking in this chapter is talking about Israel and about how, how they're cur- cursed because of their disobedience. But he puts right in there, blessed are those who follow after me, who find their sustenance in me. And immediately after that, talking about the deceitfulness of the heart. We can only find true happiness and true wisdom in God. Not in our own thinking or in our own heart. As Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not onto your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him and He will direct thy paths. I think that's, that's the whole idea of all this picture of a tree planted by the streams of water. Our trust is in the Lord. Therefore, we can see that the believer needs to have their whole being firmly settled in the Word of God so that God can have full reign in every aspect of our lives. The positive characteristics of having our lives firmly planted in the Word of God is that we will bear fruit in its season or when it is most needed because we have the Word of God in our hearts for the Holy Spirit to tap into to give us encouragement and strength when we need it to show forth the work of God in our lives. Our leaf does not wither when we are struggling or going through difficult times or times of temptation, again, because the Word of God has been ingrained into our lives by the Holy Spirit's power, which is given to us by the grace of God. There is this pastor down in Memphis where I went to school for seminary. And uh, you probably have heard of him, Adrian Rogers. Um... And the school was located right across from the church that he pastored, Bellevue Baptist. But I got this quote from my wife wrote this out for me, and I love the quote. So I'm going to read it because I think it applies to what we're talking about. But here it is. When the child of God loves the Word of God and sees the Son of God, he is changed by the Spirit of God into the image of God for the glory of God because he has found the truth of God. I'll say that again. When the child of God loves the Word of God and sees the Son of God, he is changed by the Spirit of God into the image of God for the glory of God because he has found the truth of God. The final positive characteristic is that in all, all that he does, he prospers. What does this mean? I mean, it doesn't mean that anything he does is going to succeed. He would do something bad, evil, sinful. That's not what it's talking about. 
It means that the believer who is firmly planted in the Word of God will be able to prosper when he puts the will of God that he has learned from the Word of God before his own will in everything he does. And this brings us back to verse 1. The negative characteristics. What We've looked at the positive characteristics or what can result from our desire for God's Word. But the negative characteristics are what we should not do because of our love for God and His Word. As we look at these in verse 1, we can see the downhill progression of those who get caught up in the temptations of this world. The first step down that the blessed man can avoid is that he walks not in the counsel of the wicked, which seems to indicate that a person is listening and applying to their lives the advice of those who do not see the Word of God as anything of importance. The next step down is to stand in the way of sinners, which is going from not only taking the advice of the wicked, but also actively seeking out sinners and seeking to live as they do. Finally, the downward spiral brings a person to sitting in the seat of the scornful. Those who openly mock those who follow after God and His Word, which they see as outdated and old-fashioned. These are the pitfalls of sin that we can avoid by being firmly planted in the Word of God. So we've considered, we've looked at the blessed man, the blessed person, the believer who firmly plants his life in the Word of God, and the results of that. And in verse 4, we see the opposite spectrum. We see the wicked. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. As we have seen the life of the believer who has gained the favor of God, we can see the life of the wicked and what results from their pursuit after the pleasures, quote-unquote, of sin. The wicked have the opposite result due to their life of sinfulness. Instead of being fruitful like those who follow after God and His Word, they are considered in verse 4 as the chaff that the wind drives away. Now, when the psalmist wrote this, they tossed the grain up to divide the good from the bad. And the chaff was lighter than the good part of the grain, so the chaff just blew away with the wind. The the useless part of the grain. And the heavier part just dropped so they could use it. So what the Word of God is saying right here is that without the God of the Bible, the one true God, the wicked are useless and doomed. Not that they don't do useful things, but they are useless in eternity, in an eternal perspective. They are useless and doomed. That was us before Christ. That is those we know who do not have Christ. That's everybody else. But that was us too. 
we were the wicked. You wouldn't consider us wicked, but we were. I'm glad where I am right now, but, but that's by the grace of God. It should motivate us because they need Christ just as much as we do. There are those who need Christ, even though they might not know it and not might acknowledge it. But there are characteristics of the wicked in verse 5. First, the wicked will not be able to have any say in the time of judgment. I mean, they will surely want to have a say. They'll want to protest at the time of judgment. But as we can see, and we've probably heard this before, Matthew 25 41 through 40, 46. And this is where Jesus is talking about the sheep and the goats and the judgment that comes at the end. And here he is in verse 41, 41. Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. They protested. In essence, they said, what, what are you talking about? When did we not do those things? But Jesus will have none of it. He knows who is His. Secondly, they will not be able to stand in the congregation of the righteous or in the assembly. Those covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ will not have those who are not covered in His righteousness standing among them in heaven. For God will not have evil in His presence. They will have no place among believers in the end. Now we come to the end. Verse 6, the conclusion of it all. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Pretty much sums it up. The Lord knows those that are His as He tells us in John 10, 1-30. The Good Shepherd knows who are His. He calls them. They recognize His voice. They know who He is, and He knows who is His. And they will not be snatched from His hand. The beginning of verse 6 not only tells us that the Lord knows us, He knows our way, He knows the way we're going, but that the righteous can know the way to go in life by knowing the God of the universe through His Word. For it is He 
Who knows the way of righteousness and the way of the righteous? It's, I almost see it as a double meaning. He not only knows where we're going and what we're doing, but He knows the way that we should go. So, that's why it's so important to know His Word. Those who follow the way of the wicked are destined to perish for all of eternity. Right there. How do we apply these truths? Take the time to read the Word of God. To study the Word of God. To meditate on the Word of God. In Matthew 5-6, which Pastor Reed will touch on, talk about, but it, it certainly applies to what we're talking about. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Our desire will be satisfied if we truly desire it. And then Romans 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And how do we renew our mind? Through the Word of God. It all stems, everything that is said in this psalm, all stems from that fact of dwelling, desiring the Word of God. Of wanting to be faithful to Him because we have studied it, We've meditated it and it has changed our lives. God has changed our lives through it. If this is what you and I desire to make the one true goal of our lives, we'll make the time. If we don't desire it, we won't. It's as simple as that. Do we desire it? You have to think on that. But uh, let's pray and we'll dismiss. Lord, we thank You for this day and we thank You for Your Word. We ask, Lord, that You help us to take this Word and apply it to our lives. And Lord... I ask You, Lord, that You would just empty me of everything that would hinder Your work in my life. And just fill me up with You. I pray that we would all desire that. We all need to work on it. None of us have arrived. And we all need Your guidance and your leadership in our life. We just ask this in your son's name. Amen. And you're dismissed.